You're listening to DraftKings Network. That's why, in my assessment, this trade is a win not for the Phoenix Suns, but for the Washington Wizards. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand, the only podcast out there, hopefully, that tries to make you smarter about sports, sports law, sports business, sports thought, sports policy, everything according to my, uh, hopefully, insightful perspectives and insights you don't get anywhere else. We try to make it a truly unique podcast about sports, sports business, sports thought, everything around sports. We're produced by Jack Connell, musical producer. That music you hear under us is that of my son, Sam Brand, at Boy Blue Tunes on Spotify. And we are presented, as always, by DraftKings. I'm going to get into some NBA issues this, this podcast, as well as we got some NFL stuff, and I'll give you some personal insights about the NFLPA executive director position, which may be named this week or soon. Let's get into it right away, and let's start with the NBA. Uh, I want to talk about a couple things with the NBA as they head into their busiest week of the year, free agency starting on July 1st. The way the NBA works, you can't sign actually a free agent deal till July 6th, but basketball is like football with free agency. It's over before it starts. In other words, we're going to have all these big deals signed July 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then free agency starts on the 6th. Now, when I say signed, I mean agreed to terms, ready to go, unless there's some reneging by one of the parties that's going to happen. It's the way it works in the NBA. There's not a huge number of NBA stars on the list this year. You talk about players like Kyle Kuzma, like Rui Hachimori, like uh, Chris Middleton who opted out, James Harden opted out, but it seems like a two-team race there. Uh, so we're not going to have the Kevin Durant's, the superstar players on free agency, seeing where they'll go. Seems like those names, Harden will come down to the Sixers, probably, maybe the Rockets, but I think the Sixers. Irving will come down to the Mavericks, maybe another team like the Lakers, but I think the Mavericks. Middleton will flirt around, but probably go back to the Bucks. although the Bucks may lose Brooke Lopez. So I don't think there's going to be that massive turnover in free agency. What's more interesting with the NBA now is the trading aspect of it. I didn't get to talk about this last week. I was on with Ross, more football-oriented. But let's talk about trading in the NBA because NBA trading is so different than NFL trading, and I think hockey and Major League Baseball trading as well, because NBA trades are not about talent v. talent are not about exchanging this level of talent for that level of talent. NBA trades are much more involved with the financial aspect. And that's my expertise. And that's why I, maybe in a nerdy way, find it more fascinating to view and assess NBA trades more than NFL or Major League Baseball or hockey trades because of the financial aspect. To wit, 
Let's look at the massive trade between the Phoenix Suns and the Washington Wizards. The Wizards trade Bradley Beal, who signed probably the best contract in the NBA, maybe the best contract in the history of the NBA for the player side, which means about the worst contract in NBA history on the team side. The Washington Wizards, for reasons unknown, not only gave Bradley Beal $250 million over five years, but gave him a no-trade clause. Are you telling me that Bradley Beal would not have signed for $250 million absent a no-trade clause? Are you kidding me? Why would the Wizards do that? Why would they give him the only no-trade clause in the NBA? And a no-trade clause in the NBA is much more valuable than a no-trade clause in the NFL because the NFL doesn't have guaranteed contracts teams still have leverage. So a no-trade clause in the NBA gives Bradley Beal, who wants to get out, who the team wants out of there because they're rebuilding, tremendous leverage in the trade. So Bradley Beal is dealt, and he, we assume, prefers to be dealt with to the Phoenix Suns. And so what happens is the Suns get their Bradley Beal, and they give up what seems like not much in return on the value side. They give up Chris Paul, who we know ended up elsewhere. They give up uh, Landry Shamet, who is a shooter but doesn't make much money, is not the player that Bradley Beal is, of course, and some picks, and a lot of picks. And a lot of picks go back to a rebuilding team in the Washington Wizards. And it looks like the common narrative, as it is the narrative with all big trades of star players, that the team acquiring the star won the trade, that the team acquiring the star hit it big with the trade. And that's what the narrative was. Hey, the Phoenix Suns, they add Brad Beal to Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. What a big three. Then they have DeAndre Ayton, who may or may not stay. And this looks like the greatest trade. But what people ignore is what I just talked about. They ignore the financial aspect of these trades. That's why, in my assessment... This trade is a win not for the Phoenix Suns, but for the Washington Wizards. The Wizards, in my opinion, win the trade with the Phoenix Suns because of this. They offload some $200 million off their payroll, off their asset load, off their liabilities, and they turn it over to the Phoenix Suns. Are they getting rid of their best player? Sure. What have they done with their best player? Maybe a first round playoff series? Okay. Their best player has been hurt a lot. And one thing that is absolutely true in sports is if you're hurt a lot before your 30s, you're going to be hurt more in your 30s. They will now inherit Bradley Beal's salary starting at the high 30s, moving to over 50 million a year, starting now and going through a few more years. And they inherit Bradley Beal. In, at his age 30 and going into his mid-30s, being paid upwards of $50 million a year. That's not good. <laughs> the Washington Wizards, they offload that salary, they offload that player, they rebuild, they start over, and they are in a mode where they're going to have to pay someone. Jordan Poole is going to be one of those players. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they move on. And moving on from that contract is a win, is a win. And they get a bunch of picks for it. 
Listen, this is like the Green Bay Packers offloading Aaron Rodgers. I love Aaron Rodgers. Everyone who knows me knows I'm an unabashed fan of Aaron Rodgers. But the decision was made, just like the decision we made to remove Brett Favre and replace him with Aaron Rodgers. The decision was made to move on to Jordan Love. Thus, they had a player with $100 million on their payroll this year and next year that wasn't going to be part of their team. The Green Bay Packers got a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and more for a player that wasn't going to be there and offloaded $100 million of real money, not fake money, real money. So this is like that. The Washington Wizards weren't going in there with Bradley Beal. They offloaded almost $200 million. That's a win. That's a win. So sometimes when people evaluate those trades, I want them to think a little bit more like I just said. Think about the financial aspect beyond how good the player you're getting, good your player you're giving back, all of that. That's why NBA trades are fascinating. Now, the Wizards are this fulcrum point of the trading period so far. They move Beal, they get back Picks and Landry Shamit. They get back Paul, they move Chris Paul, again, one of the most impressive players off the court I've ever seen and on the court, and they get back Jordan Poole. Now, Pool makes about $120 million over the next few years. They got to pay someone. There's a minimum with the NBA salary cap. So they have to pay someone. Pool is going to be one of the players they pay. So they move on from Chris Paul, who they got. He was a way station. He never reported to Washington. He goes to Golden State. They then move on from Kristaps Porzingis, who could have opted in for $30-something million. So they offload that money. And they get back whatever they get back, okay? So they're offloading all this salary and rebuilding the team in the way that maybe it's like the process. Maybe it's building from the studs, starting over in Washington. So it's interesting. I don't know where they're going to go with this, but I think Wizards fans, and as you know, I'm from Washington. I was a huge Bullets fan growing up, and I think Wizards fans agree with me that this is the way to go for that team. They were going nowhere. They're treading water at best with Beal, with Porzingis, with Kuzma. And here they go, starting over with a clean cap, except now populated somewhat by Jordan Poole. Okay, a note on the NBA salary cap. Listen, NBA free agency is going to start in a few days. The teams don't have that document yet. It's been negotiated. It's been reported as completed. And now it's up to the lawyers to put pen to paper, to put it in writing. And of course, they're going through like a fine tooth comb that we speak to get to the teams as they prepare for free agency. But what we do know is there's going to be a harder cap than there was. I always say the NBA has the softest cap in sports for my Jewish friends. It's a yarmulke. The NBA has got a yarmulke. They have a very soft cap. You have teams like the Warriors and the Clippers with payrolls over $200 million on a $124 million cap. Hello? That's not a cap. That's a suggestion. So now there are going to be more and more penalties for going over the cap, and we keep hearing about these two words with the NBA salary cap, a second apron. So if you go over the cap by a certain amount, that's the first apron. There are some taxes involved there, just like baseball, even though they don't have a cap. There's luxury taxes involved in the first apron. If you go up to the second apron, apron, then you have even more severe penalties. Not only are you paying a bigger tax, 
which again is going to apply to the Warriors, the Suns, the Clippers, and maybe more, but you have limitations on what you can do. You can't trade cash for cash, like aggregate players uh, for, for their salaries to trade for a star. You won't be able to do that. You won't be able to trade this seven years out, which a lot of teams do, like now trading a 2029 or 2030 draft pick. You won't be able to do that. So there are severe penalties for this sacred second apron, making it more hard than before. So we still don't have a hard cap in the NBA. If you want to blow through the second apron, I think you still can. And Phoenix Suns owner Matt Ishby appears to be like, yeah, fine. You got money, you're going to blow through it. It's going to be that New York Mets style going through the cap, even though there's no cap in baseball. And dealing with the, the, the penalties, dealing with the, the detritus that comes with going through the second apron, Ishbia is willing to do that. So that's where we are. But it's going to be a harder cap. What we don't know in this recently completed collective bargaining agreement that we haven't seen the details of is whether we're going to have uh, that second apron sort of hit right away, 2023-24, or is it 24-25, or is it 25-26 when it really hits? So we'll see where that goes. And that'll determine, I think, some of the dealings like a Draymond Green going back to the Warriors and how much they pay, uh, Kyrie Irving, how much they pay, James Harden, how much they pay, because we expect those three stars to go back from whence they came. Okay, so that's the NBA drafting and and we see this fulcrum point of the Wizards with the money going out and relatively little coming back, which I think is a good thing. Speaking of the Washington Wizards, I said it here. I said it everywhere. Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, Middle Eastern money, Saudi money, Qatari money, it's coming and it's here. So Saudi Public Investment Fund, as everyone knows by now, is funding this new venture in golf that's yet to be named between the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and the Live Tour. Again, there's DOJ investigation, there's congressional investigation, Jay Monahan's out with a medical situation. There's all this chaos and congressional investigation, congressional hearings. We'll see. But for now, that is going forward. And that, to me, was just the start. As I said, as I wrote, as I said here, that's the start. Now the Saudis, the Middle Eastern money and Qataris have gained their foothold into American sports. And I think that you and me both now see a little bit of desensitization of the dirty money element of Saudi money, Middle Eastern money. I think there's an incremental creep that is developing. Like we say, oh, they got golf. You know, they bought golf. So yeah, they're all right. Now, no one's saying they're perfect money, but or it's not blood money or whatever it is, but it's a little bit more acceptance. And this is how it happens, an incremental creep. Now, word comes, monumental sports, owners of the Washington Wizards and the Washington Capitals and the Washington Mystics are being sold just a 5% stake, 5% stake going to the Qatari Investment Authority, Qatari money. And, and if you're trying to distinguish Qatari from Saudi and saying Qatari money is quote unquote better, I mean, listen, there are a lot of abuses in getting that World Cup ready, right? Remember the human rights abuses, the workers that died working in the 110 degree heat, like, okay, it's all there, but it's coming. 
So I predicted this. I didn't think it would happen this soon. 5% of monumental sports valued at something like $4 billion is going to Qatari money. Now, listen, NBA allows this, allows sovereign wealth funds to get involved. This is it. NFL does not allow it. But it's coming. It is coming. Now, the rules are the NBA. You can only have 20 percent from a fund from a single firm like the Qatari Investment Authority. And they're way below 20 percent. And then only 30 percent of the investment can be from institutional money like private equity money and Saudi money or sovereign wealth fund money. But 30 percent is a lot. So what I'm saying is this, we're never going to see a Saudi person or Qatari person at the table of these NBA, <coughs> NBA governors meetings or NFL owners meetings. There will be the owner that we associate with the team. It's For commanders, it's been Daniel Snyder. Now it's going to be Josh Harris. But the Saudi money will be there at some point. Institutional money is coming. Private investment is coming. And I say that again because of the franchise value skyrocketing the way they are. This $6 billion number for the commanders is massive. We've never seen anything like this. Again, four years ago, Carolina Panthers, $2.2 billion. One year ago, Denver Broncos, $4.6 billion. This year, Washington Commanders, $6.05. When's the next? Who knows where that money is going? And you're not going to find people... As I say, Josh Harris, who owns the Devils, who owns uh, European soccer, who owns the Philadelphia 76ers, he's having trouble, right? The NFL trying to push out Dan Snyder is still trying to work on getting him the right financing. It's a lot of money. And I've told this story many times. I know someone in Washington got this prospectus from Josh Harris's group. They want, he told me, hey, they want $100 million. What do we get? We get good tickets. I mean, that's really what we get. So- This is what's out there. And they're going to have to tap into institutional money. First, it'll be private equity, hedge fund money, eventually sovereign wealth fund money. It's coming. And it started with monumental sports, with the Wizards, with the Capitals, with the Mystics. Here we go. Okay. One more note about the NBA. I saw that draft last week. And, you know, with Victor Webinyama and the Thompson Twins and Scoot Henderson and Webinyama's teammate in France, Bilal Koulibaly. Like, oh my God, what is going on here? That was five, count them, five, just named them, five of the top seven picks of the NBA draft did not, I repeat, did not play college basketball. The only ones who did were uh, Brandon Miller at Alabama and uh, Anthony Black at Arkansas. That's it. Five of the top seven enter the NBA from a place besides college basketball. Think about that. The NBA rule is one year. You have to be one year removed from high school to enter the NBA draft. Of course, we know NFL draft is three years removed, how much it affects running backs. More on that in a minute. But in the NBA, it used to be high school. It used to be Kobe, Kevin Garnett, LeBron coming directly out. We just had a new CBA, as I mentioned. They didn't change it. There was rumors, like, for years they're going to change it back to high school, but no. And maybe some of the reason they didn't change it is they look at all the options people have now at a high school to get pro experience. And you can call it what it is, but overtime elite with the Thompson Twins, G League with Scoot Henderson, French League, that's pro. That's pro. They're getting pro experience before they get NBA pro experience. So that is happening. And it is happening. 
this is not your father's entry in the NBA. Oh, my God, Webb and Yama, all these guys coming from somewhere else. Imagine the sport we talk about most, football. Can you name an NFL player who came to the NFL through a means other than college football? I mean, maybe it's the guys that from COVID year that didn't play, then just work out. But I guess that's it. That's what you do if you're an NFL player. You go through that system. NBA, like, whoa, no. College? Yeah, I don't know. And these people are passing up the brand names of Duke, of Villanova, of Kentucky, of North Carolina, of Syracuse, of Connecticut, of pick a name, Texas, Arizona, UCLA, they're passing that up to play in something called Overtime Elite, G League, overseas, of course. I just think it's interesting to note. It's really interesting to note. Like, wow, this is an alternate route to the NBA. And with this one-year rule not changing, we're going to see more and more of that. Okay. To the NFL, that three-year eligibility rule, let's segue there because it hurts running backs the most. I've talked about this before. If you're a, uh, you know, offensive lineman or quarterback, those three years removed from high school allow you to, quote, unquote, develop. If you're a running back, those three years removed from high school are some of your most productive and high-earning years, and you're all you're getting now is, at best, NIL and scholarship money. It's why running backs are so disadvantaged, even by age. You know, if they were able to take advantage of, coming out of high school, which Maurice Claret sued about and lost, or one year, then they'd have three more or two more earning years. And, and when they're in this highest productivity, rather than coming in after three years and they're discarded in their mid-20s when their career is basically over. Listen, I know Christian McCaffrey and Derek Henry are going to be outliers, but it's uncanny what's going on in the running back side. Ezekiel Elliott cut, no one signed him. Leonard Fournette cut, no one signed him. Uh, Kareem Hunt out there, no one signed him. Aaron Jones, huge pay cut. DeAndre Swift traded for nothing. Um, And now we get to Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook, now three weeks, has been a free agent. We hear about Miami. We hear about offers. The reason he's not signed, he doesn't have a good offer. You can hear all you want about the Dolphins and People get excited about that. Like he was supposed to make twelve million. I think he'll make three million. Imagine that. Twelve million. This is again NFL contracts. The folly of them. His twelve million in Minnesota. Where's that go? It's it's dust. It vanishes. It's not worth twelve million. It's off. Now maybe they got some cap left over hit, but they got no cash. They don't have to pay him a dime of that twelve million. This is why it's so folly to talk about these numbers. Uh, Dalvin Cook is out there. No one's signing him. Now, if I'm Dalvin Cook, maybe I'll wait because I could probably get the deal I'm going to get end of training camp, the deal I'm going to get now, and I have to go through my training camp and out there in the heat, using up legs legs and all that. Why? Just wait. Leonard Fournette, wait. Zeke Elliott, wait. Kareem Hunt, wait. They're all going to be injury replacement signings at some point. Now, maybe Cook will get signed before camp, but he's not going to get a lot of money. And think about that. Coming off a 1,000-yard year, I would say he's one of the top five running backs in the league, wouldn't you? Last five, three, four, five years? He's, he's a, I mean, <laughs> it's just amazing. Austin Eckler makes noise about his contract, crickets. 
J.C. J.K. Dobbins in Baltimore making noise about his contract. Crickets. The three franchise tag. Is there any movement on those guys? Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs. Nothing. The teams are doing what I think I would do. Pay him $10 million, rent him for a year, high usage. And listen, if they're not getting a deal now, a big long-term deal, they're not getting it. It's not happening. They're never going to get it. So that's where we are. I feel for NFL running backs. And we talked about they need their own union, but that's, you know, that's kind of a fantasy. We got a CBA another eight years, even if it's a thought. Not till 2.30 would even talk about it. So that's where we are. All right, one final thing. It looks like as I was recording this, the NFLPA has named its new executive director. The the name is out of the blue, someone we never thought of, Lloyd Howell. He's the former CFO and treasurer of Booz Allen. He did all the financials for them. He worked in capital structure. He previously led Booz Allen's civil and commercial business. He was there for 20-something years. Uh, got a lot of experience with government, a lot of, a lot of DOD work. He worked with the Navy, the Marine Corps. He's worked with the SEC, DOT, Federal Reserve, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, Commodity Futures Trade Commission. Um, he's a DC guy. He was a University of Penn graduate and a Harvard MBA graduate. Um, this is a surprise. I mean, again, as people know, the NFLP executive director has been held by DeMaurice Smith since 2009. This was a surprise hire because no one knew what was going on. We heard about internal candidates. We heard about external candidates. I've been asked for months, am I a candidate for the NFLP executive director job? I've been called by ESPN, by the Wall Street Journal, by the New York Times, by Bloomberg, by Sports Business Journal, by Front Office Sports. And my answer is no, no. The search firm nor the NFLPA have ever contacted me. Now, full disclosure, I've been contacted about the NFLPA executive director job several times over the years. And at points I was considering it, there was one point I was considering it in the mid-2010s where I was considering, and then one night I got an email or text saying, oh yeah, DeMore Smith just got the job four more years where according to some part of the rule book, he could keep the job with vote of a certain number of executive board committee members, blah, blah, blah. I was linked to the job and different people, but I never ran for it. You know, people, players would contact me and say, would you be interested? I said, listen, you had three factors. If you want to look at me, number one, I'm white. Number two, I never played. And number three, I worked for management for 10 years. And the players would say, that's fine with me. Do you want it? you know, convince everyone else. And I thought about it. And then I said, no, my life's too good. I don't need that. And then, of course, you know, there's people inside the union, maybe didn't like what I wrote about, critical of of the CBAs that were kind of against me, potentially running for that job. I didn't want that. I, I don't need that. Anyway, do I think I could be an effective negotiator for the next CBA? Of course I do. Do I think I would want what else comes along with that job? No, no, my life's too good for that. So they're going with Lloyd Howell. Again, a surprise candidate. Just my first glance is they did go with a former, against, they did, I'm sorry, they did not pick a former player. 
They did pick an African-American. And a lot of the experience is not legal, like DeMora Smith. They went away from a lawyer. It's more government. I mean, obviously, it's financial. It comes from Booz Allen. He's got an MBA. But a lot of government work, DOD and Navy and Marines and really extensive background with SEC. Is that going to be important politically for the NFLPA? Sure. Is it going to have any effect when they negotiate with Roger Goodell and the owners? I'm not sure. But there are years for that, years ahead for that, because the present leadership of the union, and we hear DeMora Smith is going to stay on through 2024. Eh, they've been... You know, they haven't, there's been inefficiencies with that CBA. And every time I talk about it or write about it, I hear from the NFL people like, hey, don't get, don't, don't, don't say we won that at CBA too much because we want, we don't want them feeling that way. I get it. But I always say this in any negotiation, when it's too lopsided, it's not good. You don't want it too lopsided. I learned this the hard way. I did some deals when I got to the Packers were way too lopsided in favor of the Packers. It hurt me personally down the road because players gave me the side eye, like you got over on me. I didn't want that. I became an easier negotiator. And I think the NFL would be smart to do that because there's too much enmity against them for getting over on the players. Maybe Lloyd Howe will change that. Maybe he's got relationships already with NFL owners, but clearly they've chosen someone with extraordinary contacts within Washington, D.C., and inside the Beltway. Okay, kudos to Lloyd Howell. Good luck. You're going to need it. Uh, If you need me for uh, advice about the CBA, happy to help. Okay, have a great week, everyone. I'm going to be off next week. I'm out, headed out west to do some uh, in-the-woods stuff. So hopefully we'll unplug for a while. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Share it with a friend. Give us a good rating. Comments always appreciated. We need those comments. We need the ratings. I, I hope it's unique for you. I hope there's nothing else like it. I'm not going to be on the top podcast in the country like some of these other ones, but I want it to be smart. I want it to make you smarter and make you want to listen more and more to find out things you don't know. Thanks to producer Jack Connell. Thanks to musical producer Sam Brandt. Twitter Andrew Brandt, too. Instagram, I'm sorry, Twitter, Andrew Brandt, Instagram, Andrew Brandt, two newsletter, andrew-brandt.com. You can also find a way to sign up for the Sports Business League for my reels every day on Instagram. Get the full reel in the daily dose every day for Sports Business League. Have a great week, everyone. I'll see you next time, probably in two weeks, on the business of sports with Andrew Brandt.